pray. Lord, how amazing and how wonderful it is that we can worship Your name. Lord, the name above all names. Truly the only good name. Lord, if we find that we live our lives and our lives are not marked by that name instead of our own, or what we would make of our own name, then we would be without hope. But if we find ourselves placing our hope in the name of Christ, Lord, what a great hope it is for us. I pray as we continue in Ecclesiastes this afternoon that uh, you would, by your Holy Spirit, lead us in your word, that we would gain understanding uh, that could be applied to our lives, Lord, that you would refine us tonight, that we would be drawn closer still to you, that we would understand that we're not there yet. Lord, let us be a people who are teachable. Lord, let us be a people who are willing to be taught from Your Word. Lord, and I pray that You would allow me to say nothing of myself except for the preaching of Your Word and Your Word alone. And may it be for the glory of the Lamb who was slain. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to be... Uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. So if you want to go ahead and turn there. We're going to make a quick jump over to Acts chapter 4 after we read the first couple of verses. I want to kind of give you an outline of uh, about the first 14 verses of chapter 7. We're going to try to cover uh, verse 1 through 14. You get kind of a, I think, a a concise idea that's kind of wrapped up, that is laid out with a couple of warnings, some wisdom is given at the end, and then some, uh, I believe, great insight as well. Uh, so the first, the first thing that we're going to be looking at today is, here, here's kind of the title of the message, is, is live for a good name. Right? So let us live our lives for a good name, and for a good reputation, for that name, right? Now, as we go through the message tonight, one thing that we're going to be exploring, and I hope that we've been exploring all along through Ecclesiastes, is what name is it that we're living for, right? Is Landon living to uplift his name and make his name great in the things that I do here? Or am I living for another name? Am I living for a name that will live on when I'm buried in the ground? Right. So for each of us that are here tonight, I want us to be thinking about that question. Whose name are we living for? Right. And what value is it in the reputation that our lives portray of that name? So let's open up and look at... We're going to read the first, uh, the first verse of this. And... Uh, it may read a little differently in mine than in yours. Like I say, mine says a good reputation. Some will say a good name. Seven of Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1. A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. I want us to stop there, and I want us to flip now over to uh, Acts chapter 4. Uh, we see in this... Uh, an example, I think a good example of what it means to live for someone else's name and the results that come from that. So Acts chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. And I'm going to read it in two different versions so that you can, uh, so that this idea of name is, uh, is kind of locked in for you. So in the New Living Translation, it's going to read as follows. There's a sal- there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men 
with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognize them as men who have been with Jesus. Before we read it in the next version, and I'm going to be reading it in the ESV next, I want you to, I want you to think about this because I think that oftentimes what we find is that we find in the church people who are not wanting to do anything because they're afraid they're not qualified or they're not smart enough or they're not good enough, or they see people they think may do things better than them. And what I want you to understand here that we see throughout God's Word is that ultimately it's not about you and what you can do. Right? It's not about me or what I can do or how well I can say something or am I going to say it as good as someone else? So when I stand up here before you, the thing that should not be on my mind is what are you going to think about me when I, when I sit down? And when, when you are in service for God, the same thing should be true of you. You should not be doing it, wonder, wondering, well, what are other people going to be saying about me in my name? Because ultimately what we find here is that they were glorifying someone else's name in pointing out things about Peter and John. So the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. So the thing that could be said about them is that they were bold. For they could see they were ordinary men. Wow. That's what we want to be said about us, right? We live our lives so that we can be ordinary people. We tend to want to be extraordinary We want to stand out from the crowd. We want what's said about us most of the time to be how awesome that we are. How good that we are at whatever particular thing we set out to do. Whether it be preach, or whether it be write software at my job, or whether it be when the guys come over to the house and work out, like, I want to be the best at everything, right? We want to be the best. We don't want to be ordinary. We want to be extraordinary. What was said about them is that they were ordinary men. They were ordinary men. They were bold, but they were ordinary. And they had no special training. So another thing that you should take away from this is it does not require of you anything special, training-wise, to serve. To serve the person next to you in the pew, to serve the church as a whole, It doesn't require anything special of you. You don't have to go to seminary to do it. They had no training in the Scriptures. And they were preaching to men who were well trained in the Scriptures here. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So what was the important factor here? They just got finished. So we started in verse 12, and that was the end of what they were saying. They were preaching here. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. They were pointing out to us whose name it is that's important. Right? Whose name it is that's good. And we see here that they were living an example that brought good reputation to that name. The boldness that these men had, what they were preaching, and what these men, whether or not they later came to believe it or not, when they saw these things, I guarantee you it pricked their heart because the Word of God, the true Word of God will prick our hearts. Truth wins. Right? Truth wins. When they hear these things, they're standing back like, whoa, The only way you can live like that, the only way that you can not be educated in the Scriptures, yet be educated in the Scriptures, is if you've been with Christ. So, so I just want to, and this is, this is absolutely side note here, I just want you to know that you can serve, and what's important in your service is that you're known by the name of Christ, not by your own name, not by what you've done. So let's read it in another version here, just in case there's 
any confusion from this one. So uh, I'm going to be in the ESV for this for this next one. So we're going to look in verse 12 here uh, in the ESV. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were common, they were ordinary, they were astonished. Now, here's another thing that I want us to get from this. If they were ordinary, common men doing ordinary, common things, there would be nothing here worth being astonished over. True? Yet these men, trained in the Scriptures, hearing the words that come from them, and the boldness in which they say these words, they stand astonished by it. Again, this is a testimony to the man whom they've been with, who's been training them, who's been teaching them. So the one thing I want, to, I want you to take away from this passage of text here before we get over into Ecclesiastes is if you want a good name... If you want a good reputation, you'd better be seeking after the name of Christ. You'd better be seeking after the name of Christ. So let's go over to Ecclesiastes now. And we're going to pick apart the next couple of verses here to really get an understanding of of what it means to have a good name and how we might press forward in that direction. How could we press forward for a good reputation? How could we press forward for a good name? A name that is more valuable than costly perfume. How might we do that? So what does Solomon have to say here? And one thing that I want us to, to understand as we, as we read God's Word, as we dig into this, is that God's Word, more times than not, is going to be very countercultural. Okay, It's going to come across as something that really doesn't sound like something you want to do. Okay, it's going to be hard. Sometimes we're going to have to wrestle with it. Sometimes we're going to have to think about it. Sometimes it's going to take a little more than just picking it up, saying, "In the day you die is better than the day you were born," and saying, "I'm going to put that down because that sounds really confusing, and that doesn't sound like what I think." Right? But that's what it says. So let's let's get in and let's wrestle with this word a little bit. So, the day you die is better than the day you were born. Is this a true statement? This is uh, Ecclesiastes 7, the last part of verse 1 there. And the day you die is better than the day you were born. Is this true? How, how many of you do you think your deathbed is, is going to be leading you to a better day? <laughs> Alright. Good answer. Absolutely good answer. Loving to see the hands that are raising up. Because uh, you're learning. <laughs> This is so awesome. Like, I'm pumped that I saw hands raised up. I'm not even going to lie. Like, like that was awesome. For you, the redeemed, this statement should be overwhelming to us. That your, your best days are not behind you. Your best days are not behind you. You have more to look forward to. You have more to look forward to. And this is an amazing truth. This is an amazing truth. I want us to understand too that this truth is tied very, very, very closely to this idea of a reputation or a name that is more valuable than costly perfume. Because if your name is not tied to the name of Christ, if you are not redeemed, then the truth is, is that there's some weighty stuff that we've got to deal with in this. Right? Does this truth hold true under the sun? Now, if all there was was what was found under the sun, then this would be true. So I want, us to, I want us to think about this. If all there was was matter and energy and what we find under the sun, then the last day of your life would be the best day of your life. Why? 
Because you would be done with the toil, you would be done with the work, you would be done with the survival of the fittest, and you would finally be at rest, though you would not know you were at rest. Right? But if we find that there exists something beyond the sun, this statement does not hold for you if your name is not found in Christ. Right? And I hope that what we've been finding as we've been digging through six and now starting on seven chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes is if there's not anything found beyond the sun, what? Vanity of vanities. Meaningless, pointless. This should be driving us to an understanding that if we can find meaning in anything, it cannot be found under the sun. Right? Cannot be found under the sun. And then we've seen in some messages past that in fact, we see in, in Malachi that there's hope for a new sun rise, the sun of righteousness. This is prophetic, pointing towards the Messiah. This is pointing towards Christ. This is pointing towards the good name that we should be trying to live for and the reputation that we should be trying to build and lift up. So verse 2 of chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes says, Better to spend your life or better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. Or better to spend your life in the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, if you have a different version. This is leading us to the same idea, the same meaning, the same place. It is better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. I want you to let that sink in, and I want you to think of why this would be a true statement. Right? Why would this be a true statement? Why would it be better to go to a place where people are mourning than to go to a place where people are having fun? Why would it be better to go to a place where people are crying than to go to a place where people are laughing, cutting up, and having a good time? Why would it be better? Because that's what it says. Better to spend your time. So if you were looking and you were saying, which place should I go this weekend? Should I go to a party or should I go to Collins Burke? What does it say? Which should be your place to choose? Why? Why is that? I want us to think about this, and 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 I, I we'll, we'll we'll see it a couple of different times here. But I want to give you this: is that when you're living in the party, right? When life is good and you think you've got nothing to worry about, that's when you're in the most danger of all, right? Because you don't know how bad you have it, right? Because the party will end, and then you'll be left without. And according to what kind of party you go to, you may be left hung over or strung out. That shouldn't be any of y'all that raised y'all's hands earlier. <laughs> None of you. <laughs> Don't let me catch you at that point. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Suffering and death bring perspective that the party will not. Do you understand that? That when trials come your way, better can come of the trials than no trials at all. Because what the trials do is strip away from us the fallacy, the lie that this world is what we were created for. That's what the trials do. They bring us to the realization that we were made for something else. And that we're just passing through this life. As Christians, as foreigners looking for our homeland. We get that picture throughout Scripture. Look at Israel. Look at Abraham. So it says in Verse 2, after all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. 
And this is the point. This is why it would be better for you to spend your time at Collinsburg than at your party place of choice. Is because at Collinsburg, you're going to realize too that one day you end there whether or not you want to or not. Now, you may not go to Collinsburg. But there's, I'm sure there's a hundred other different places. But you get the point. You're going to die. You're going to go to the place of mourning. One way or the other. And it would be more valuable for you to realize that now than then. So it's good for us, it's good for us to keep in mind, we would be wise to keep in mind that this life ends. So that that would help us in our decision making processes. Am I going to store up treasures here that I can never take with me there? Am I going to live for successes here? That when you meet me in the grave, those successes will have fallen away. We need to consider these things. And oftentimes we do not when the going is good. When the going is good, we do not realize these things. So it would be wise for us, for us the living, to take this to heart. Verse 3, sorrow Sorrow is better than laughter. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. Let that sink in. And ask yourself, when we when I read this all the time, I'm like, is that true? And I'm like, oh, I'm reading the Bible. It's proved itself time and time and time again to me to be true. So when I run into things like this that seem difficult, I realize that more often than not, the reason I think is wrong is because I'm wrong in whatever it is that I'm thinking. So that when we read a passage of text like this and we say, see, see where it says that sorrow is better than laughter, I say, I want to be laughing. What does Christ say about laughing? We're going to, I didn't, I, I kind of bookmarked this just in case. Let's look, let's look over in Luke chapter 6 verse 24. And we're going to look at a couple here. What sorrow awaits you who are rich, for you have only your happiness now. What sorrow awaits for you who are fat and prosperous now for a time of hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now for your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. This is Christ speaking. For your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. Sorrow is better than laughter. Is this true? Is this true? Let's let's go back and let's see what Christ says about this. Just a couple of verses more. This is... This is the blessed are you. So in verse 20, Jesus turned to the disciples and said, and this is Luke chapter 6, verse 20, God blesses you who are poor for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now for in due time you will laugh. For in due time you will laugh. It would do us well to be a little more serious about our lives now when much is at stake and leave our laughter to the day where our worries have fallen behind us. Right? Sorrow now. We're, we're not sorrowful at all. And this is evident. This is evident in the way that we live. We'd much rather laugh then think about, and I'm going to say it again, and I don't know how many times I'm going to have to say it over and over again, that there are kids dying, there are people hungry, there are people needing clothes. And I wonder, what are we doing about it? What do we want to do about it? Does it, does it bring sorrow to our heart? Do we care about them at all? Is it something that concerns us at all? 
Or are we more concerned about living in this life to bring momentary happiness that will be fleeting and passing away? That will lead to sorrow if all that we have is what this life has to offer us. Sadness has a refining influence on us. And, and, and I know for a fact that many of you can relate to this. And I know that I can relate to this. Some of the hardest things that I've ever gone through, and I've shared them with you in the past, the loss of a daughter, for me, hardest thing. Hardest thing that I've ever dealt with. And it was compounded by other trials following it that most of you have no no idea about. And I see the truth in this. And I think I think many of you I don't have to tell you this truth. I think you've probably learned this truth. Sometimes we need to be reminded of it, especially if we're in it now, right? Especially if you're in it now. So I want to remind you of this, Christian. If you are in the middle of trials now, Romans 8.28, God's working these things together and He's refining you in it. I want to give you a, a little a little analogy. When I think about pain, and, and this was brought up kind of the the story, for lack of a better word, uh, happened this past week. Isaac was out playing in the yard barefoot. And I tell the kids, wear shoes so you don't get something in your foot. And my kids don't like to wear shoes, so <laughs> here goes Isaac. And he gets a splinter about that big <laughs> embedded in his foot. And it doesn't feel good. And what do me and Adrian have to do? So we can not care and say, well, maybe it gets infected. And if it gets infected, we'll take him to the hospital and cut that thing off. Wrap it in a bandage. We'll get him a cool little like pirate kind of peg leg thing going on or something you know we could be those kind of parents or we could say you know what this is going to hurt we're going to have to get this thing out it's going to hurt he's going to cry and he's going to say mommy please stop and he did mommy please stop Mommy, please stop. And here I am holding him down and she's holding his foot and if somebody were to just walk in they would think we're torturing our child to death Right? I, I, I'm telling you. Mary Corinne, before it happened, she was like, I, didn't you, baby? She was like, I want to watch this. <laughs> I was like, baby, you don't want to watch this. You don't. And she didn't. She didn't. When he's crying and writhing because he's got this thing embedded in him, they were having to get out for his, for his good. For his good. And there's no easy way to do it because we looked on the internet. Like, is there any way to get splinters out without baby writhing? Googled that. Not there. It's not. Every single thing was like, it's going to hurt. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> you know? Put this goo on there and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Get a needle and some tweezers and do what you got to do. Be as gentle as possible. You get that thing out. So it doesn't set up some infection and worse happen to him. Sin for you is a splinter. This life for you is God getting that splinter out. Do you get that? It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. And ultimately it's your fault. You went without the shoes. You went without the shoes. You got the splinter. You don't listen. God's doing what's best for us, church. God's doing what's best for us. And it's refining us along the way. So let's hold on to that truth that God is removing the sin from us. 
and refining us by the lives He's placed in front of us so that we can grow closer to Him and then in, in, in heaven and in glory in the future when laughter comes, when the praising comes, when the joy comes and never fades away, we can rejoice in the God who does good from all things for us. So that's the hope that we have here. That's the hope that we're looking for. Verse 4, A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. This is just further adding to the truths that we've been talking to here. A wise person thinks a lot about death. So we would be wise to consider our lives and the shortness of them. Death will come for each of us. It will. What are we going to do in this life? Let's understand this. If we have this understanding that it's going to help us in achieving what we're looking at in verse 7 or in verse 1 of chapter 7, that good name, that good reputation that's more valuable than costly perfume. This is the goal. And in having a proper perspective, right? And understanding this life is short, that it's coming to an end. Instead of worrying about today, we're worrying about the end game. We're worrying about where we're going. We know that trials are going to be here today. We'll deal with them as they come. Right? It's the mentality that we should have as Christians. What comes at me today, I'll deal with today. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow because today may be all I have. If I get there and there's more trials there, I'll deal with that then. Every single day, I'm building up His reputation. Every single day, I'm living for His name and for His glory. Pushing forward in that. We're pushing forward in that. So, now he's going to go into, and we're going to cover one, two, three, four, five, and they're kind of just, they're really bite-sized. So he's giving us five different examples of potential pitfalls. So, so we're, we're, the, the goal here is a good name, good reputation. Ultimately, we understand as Christians, now having the insights of the New Testament, that the name that we should be living for is the name of all names, the name of Christ. To do that, we have a perspective on what this life is, what it's about, understanding that it's going to be over one day. And now we're seeing a, a couple of passages of text that should help us as Christians to live wisely in this world so that we don't fall into these pitfalls. So I'm going to go ahead and give them to you, and then we're going to look at the passage of text. So one is a heart that's unteachable. Two is a heart that is corruptible. Three is a heart that is quick to quit. Four is a heart that is easily angered. Five is a heart that is discontent. Right? So there's five things that we're going to be looking at in the upcoming passage of text here. And as we hit them, I'll point out to you kind of the, the bullet point that we were trying to check off with that. So in verse 5 of chapter 7, it is better to be criticized by, by a wise person than to be praised by fools. A fool's laughter is quickly gone like the thorns of a crackling fire. This is all so meaningless. So what we see here... It's something that we really don't want. And I'll get a raising of hands, and I'll ask any of you, how, how do you like being criticized? You don't? Anybody? Anybody. And why do you not like to be criticized? It makes you look like an idiot. I mean, that's the truth, right? It makes us feel like an idiot. Whether, whether we, we're, we're probably idiots if we didn't follow after Good advice. Constructive criticism, right? We'll probably be foolish. We tend to not like criticism because if y'all are anything like me, I'm never wrong. Follow me? I'm never wrong. So if you criticize me, there is something wrong with you. Right? That tends to be the heart that we have. Is it not? Is it not? So what happens is when somebody comes and preaches, we'll either ignore that truth because it applies to them and not to me, or we'll get angry at the preacher of the Word because he took that out of context. Right? So one pitfall that we must avoid if we want to 
lift Christ's name up if we want our reputation to be found in Him and His reputation to be lifted up to all people, one thing that we must avoid is a heart that cannot be taught truth. So when you're criticized, first take into account who it is that's criticizing and the state of their heart. I would say that. There are, there, there are people who criticize and that's just the thing that they do. Right? So what I'm not saying is that everything that somebody says about you is true. That's not what I'm saying. Right? Some of it may be. And if somebody comes to you in the way that the Bible tells us to do these things, you would be best served by listening and going to God's Word and digging in. Right? So let's not have hearts that cannot be taught. The next thing we're going to look at in verse 7 says, Mine says extortion turns wise people into fools and bribes corrupt the heart. Other translations will read that oppression turns wise people into fools. So the one thing that we see here is that we should avoid hearts that are prone to corruption. Because that's what we do. And we've talked about this. And most of, most of this here we're going to see has been things that have been talked about in depth in the past. And he's bringing it up here just kind of as a reference to kind of put an end cap on what he's been leading us through up to this point. So the thing that we should see here is that when we're strong or we think that we're strong and we tend to oppress and we tend to look for bribes, then we should be very wary of the state of our heart. Let's not live in such a way that we are easily corrupted by the possibility of gain, by the possibility of a better life here or more here. Right? Let's not have that kind of heart. Let us not have hearts that are easily corrupted. Verse 8, Finishing is better than starting. Patience is better than pride. How often is it that when the going gets tough, the thing that we started that was good to start, we stop? Because we're not willing to put in the work. You're a quitter. You have the heart of a quitter. Don't quit. Don't quit. When you set out to do something, do it. When I was younger, you're going to like this, Dad. When I was younger, any sport that I ever started playing, I'd better not start it unless I intended on finishing out the season. Because we don't raise quitters. <laughs> now, I don't, know, I don't think he ever used those words, but... Church, we don't need to be raising quitters. We don't. We don't need to have hearts of quitters. So when the going gets tough, we don't say, throw up our hands, I'll let somebody else handle that. When we set out to do something, let's do it. And it's a good... Man, God's sovereign over everything. We're going to be starting classes in September, right? That's when we... If you say, I'm going to take a class, don't quit. (laughs) That was very unplanned. But don't quit! You'll be called out. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Don't be quitters. Verse 9. Control your temper for anger labels you a fool. And I'm just going to stop here and let you think about that. Because I think what happens... Let me stop. You thinking about it? Do you have a heart that's easily angered? Are you that type of person that if you get looked at the wrong way, like apparently they got issues, we got, we got to squash that beef. There's something going on there. We got to handle it. You know? I see you smiling back there, Kevin. <laughs> 
I ain't preaching to you, brother. <laughs> it was somebody else. <laughs> I kept looking over there. I apologize. <laughs> Don't be mad at me. <laughs> Seriously, though. How often do we find ourselves where the littlest thing sets us off? The littlest thing sets us off. And it may be years before we settle that. It may be years before we go and say, you know what? I know I wasn't wrong, right? I'm never wrong here. But I don't want us to be mad at each other anymore. Right? Let's not be like that. Because in that, we're not living for the name that we should be living for. And the reputation that we're building up in that is not the reputation that we want to have. Don't long for the good old days. This is verse 10. Don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. How many of us do that? How many of us? Can we have some honest raising of hands or some looking at me like I'm looking at you? That's what Cameron was doing back there. saying He was looking at me like I was looking at him. Like I wasn't looking at you. <laughs> really though, how many of us look back to the good old days? The days when this was there or that was there or this was going on or that was going on. And How many of us long for those days to return? Right? How many of us live like that? You know what that means about us? The good old days will never come because our hearts are not content. Because we're always going to be looking for a good old day. Because what we'll find in this world is that every day will give you something to be unhappy about if you're that kind of person that's going to seek that out. Right? If that's your heart... If that's your heart, you will always be looking for the good old days. You will always be looking back and you know what you'll find? You'll find today you're ineffective. Today you're ineffective. Today you're failing to lift up the name that you should be lifting up. Today you're failing to build the reputation. Because you're reflecting on a day that you can never get back. The good old days are gone. And more true than that, Today is the good old day. Because it's the only day you have. It's the only day you'll have. Wisdom is even better when you have... So we're in verse 11. Wisdom is even better when you have money. Both are a benefit as you go through life. Wisdom and money can get you almost anything, but only wisdom can save your life. Now I'm going to give this as homework. Go back and let's look at, at how he's examined wisdom in past passages of text that we've already covered. And what I want to tell you here is that he's giving you an idea about wisdom that is going to branch us over to where we were at in the book of Acts. Right? This idea of wisdom that can save your life. This is not earthly wisdom. This is not earthly wisdom. Right? So wisdom is good. And he says here, money is good. And it's good to have both. So what is he telling us? What's the truth that he's, that he's trying to get across to us here? So we're done with the pitfalls portion. Right? We're done with the pitfalls. And now he's giving us a tidbit of wisdom here. He's saying it's good to be wise with the wisdom that can save your life. This wisdom that can save your life, Christian is the wisdom that Christ has come to save your life. Right? That's the wisdom that can save your life. And then, money is a gift. We've covered that. Money is a gift. So what we get out of this is that wisdom, combined with gifts, used for the right purposes, are good. you got to have all of that. You gotta have all of that. And he's gonna, he's good at, at making sure that we understand that you gotta have that together. That idea that if you take one without the other, like you try to put the money above the wisdom that can save your life, these things are gonna fall apart. He's already covered why in the past, and he's gonna mention this again, just so that we understand, just so that we know. 
So wisdom and money can get you almost anything, but only wisdom can save your life. So in that, we understand wisdom being the highest of these things. Verse 13 and 14 now. This is going to go back to what we had discussed last week. We were in uh, chapter 6, verse 10. So verse 13 of chapter 7 says, Accept the way that God does things. For who can straighten what He has made crooked? So I want to ask you first, who of you, God having bent something, can unbend that thing? No hands? No takers? So why then do you try to? That should be a question I can ask you, right? You say I don't want to unbend what God's bent. Now I wonder how many of you are trying to do that today. That God has set a particular course or path for your life and you are trying with everything in your might to undo it or to go back the other way. And the truth is that you yourselves admitted you don't unbend what God bends. You don't unbend it. Verse 14. And this ties back in with 11 and 12 there. Enjoy prosperity while you can. But when hard times strike, realize that both come from God. So enjoy life. Accept what God has done. And this has been a message that's been... This is not the first time you've heard this. Accept what God has done. Accept your lot in life. Enjoy life. Enjoy today. When you prosper in this life. I'm not saying don't rejoice in that. I'm not saying you can't laugh about the good things that God does here. But stay close, friends. Stay close to the grave because that's where you're going to be. Stay close to it. So that when good times come... You're not fooled into thinking, well, maybe now it's time that I can start trusting in those things more. Right? That's, that's some balance. And, and, and I want to be honest with you is I think that's a very, very tough balance to hold. And this is why Christ in the New Testament says that for a rich man, it's very, very hard. Because a rich man's over here on his pile of gold and he's not over there. He's not walking through the graveyards because he's got his eyes on something else. It's so easy to get our eyes on other things. This is not to say that if God gives you something that that is bad. Be wise is what I'm telling you. Be wise. This is the important and critical point is that God has blessed most of us If not all of us. Considerably more. Overwhelmingly more. Than many people. That we do not want to share in their sorrows. This is the truth. We want to have a party. And sometimes we call that party church. While there's a world full of sorrows that we care nothing to share in. Perspective. Church. Because one day I can promise you You're going to spend some time in the place of mourning. The New Testament tells us that we can rejoice in our trials and in our sufferings because our hope is fixed not in this world, but in the world to come so that we can raise our hands confidently And say that the last day of this world will be the best day.
We can be like Paul and we can say, really, it's better for you that I'm here than for me that I'm here. Right? Because it would be better that I was with Christ. But He leaves us here so that we can serve, so that we can reach out, so that we can build up the name above all names and bring glory to the One who deserves glory. Let's close in prayer. Lord, You are so amazing. You are so holy. You are so worthy of praise and honor and glory. Lord, that we would be moved by You. That Your Holy Spirit would move through the truth of Your Word, that it would penetrate deeply into our lives. Lord, that we would not be unteachable. That we would not be beyond reproach. That our hearts would not be so hardened that we could not learn more from You. Lord, I want to thank You for my church family. I want to thank You for what they mean to me. I want to thank You for what they have meant to me and my family for well beyond a decade now. Lord, and I thank You that through that time You have Lord, You have worked in me and in my family and in our lives in unspeakable ways. Lord, I pray that we would avoid all the pitfalls that this life has. Lord, that we would lay aside the sin that so easily trips us up and that we would run and that we would run and we would not quit running until we lay in our graves. God, on that day, what a wonderful day in the cares of this world lay behind us And the name above all names stands before us. I thank you for Christ and for the cross. And I thank you, God, because I know when you move, we will be unable to stand still. Lord, overwhelm us for Your glory and for Your name's sake. It's in Christ's name that we do everything. Amen.